listening to audio from Memphis Christian Church. If you'd like to check out more resources or donate to this ministry, please visit memphiscc.info. Hey, good morning. That is my favorite part of that song, Romans chapter 6. If we're buried with him, then we will rise with him, right? There's no grave that can hold the believer down. Just as Jesus Christ walked out of that grave, we walk out of the grave today. Amen. It's good to see you guys out today. Grab your Bible, and I want to turn to you, with you to the next, I want you to turn with me to the next walk that we're looking at in Matthew, the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 14. Now, I understand that more of you have gone out and bought Bibles in the last week. That's really exciting to me. And so don't forget, in the front of your paperback Bible there uh, is a table of contents. Uh, the Bible's divided into the Old Testament and New. Today we're in the New Testament. That's towards the back. The first book is called Matthew, and the chapter is 14. We're going to pick up in verse 23. Uh, this Bible that you hold is filled it is filled with individuals like you and me who have taken some amazing walks, unforgettable walks, walks that make your heart beat, pound out of your chest when you take that first step. This weekend, this weekend we're looking at one of the most heart-pounding, exciting walks recorded in Scripture. You remember the scene? Earlier in chapter 14, right there in John, where you're looking, earlier, or Matthew, excuse me, right, right there earlier in that chapter, Jesus has received word that John the Baptist, remember the one prophesied about that was coming to prepare the way for Christ and his ministry? John the Baptist had just been beheaded for his faith. Word had come to Jesus. He, he although he knew that was coming, he, he struggled with that. And so he went off to spend some time to gather his thoughts, to, to pray for John, his family. And it says that the disciples followed him, but also 5,000 people followed him. You talk about not being able to get a moment alone. That uh, was Jesus. Pe people were hungry. They wanted to see what he would do. They wanted to hear what he had to say. And so this crowd followed him, and they ended up spending all day with him. Anytime you come to Jesus, you can expect that he's going to talk to you. He's going to share some insights. He's going to captivate you with his words. And such was the case for this crowd. Spent the whole day there. The end of the day came and they were hungry. It's not like us. We have a meal here anytime you're here. And we always serve it first, right? So you have full belly, be able to catch a nap. Leroy's already dozing off on me over there. It's okay. You know, if I can give you a half-hour nap, praise the Lord, right? Get, get you a good nap in. But the end of the day came. Remember the story? Jesus told his disciples, go get them something to eat at McDonald's. They said, McDonald's is closed. Everybody's home with COVID. We don't have any workers. And so he went out. The disciples went out, and they found a boy. They found a young man who was smart enough to pack his lunch for the day. And they asked that boy, what do you have? And he said, I've got five loaves of bread. <laughs> I wonder if they were like breadsticks or something. And, and I've got two, I've got two fish, 5,000 people. And you know what happened. Jesus blessed it. He fed not only those 5,000 men, but the five or so thousand women that were with them and the five or so thousand children that were with them, 15,000 people. The end of the day comes and Jesus looks at his disciples. They were plumb wore out. Jesus, he's still ready to go. 
But he says to them, I want you to get on the boat, and this time let's go to the other side of the lake. Let, let's go over there where we can have some time to debrief about what happened to John. And so they take off on the boat, and Jesus says, I'm going to stay behind, and I'm going to make sure the crowd gets home okay. And so that's where we pick up here, Matthew 14, verse 23. After Jesus had dismissed the crowd, he went up on a mountainside by himself to pray. He finally had that moment. When evening came, he was there alone, but the boat was already a considerable distance from land. See, see the picture that they're painting? The boat, boat's already gone out of sight. The boat was already a considerable distance from land, and it was being pounded. It was being buffeted by the waves because the wind was against it. A storm had come. And this says, during the fourth watch of the night, this is about three o'clock in the morning, Jesus went out to them walking on the lake. When the disciples saw him walking on the lake, they were terrified. It's a ghost, they said. They cried out in fear. But Jesus immediately said to them, take courage, it is I, do not be afraid. Okay, 12 disciples, 12 disciples in the boat. 11 of them. We're not for sure what they did. We, I have a feeling they were huddled down in the corner. Uh, they were holding on tight. They were turning green in the face. But one, one of them, Peter, he recognized that it wasn't a ghost, but that it was God. That God was present even in the most unlikely place. And he realized that if God is there, there is an extraordinary opportunity at hand. And so Peter calls out to Jesus in verse 28. Some of you are very familiar with this, but he says, if it's you. Now, that wasn't one of those, uh, I'm, I'm not for sure that that's you. Peter had already had an inclination as to what he needed to do. And so he says to Jesus, he says, if it's you, I, I want you to command me. If it's you, I want you to tell me it's you, and I want you to tell me to come to you on the water. And you remember Jesus' response, let's walk. Let's take a walk. Now this weekend, before we talk about this amazing walk on water, and we're going to talk more about that in two weeks from now on Commitment Weekend, I want us to look at the boat. I want us to talk about the boat that these 12 were in, and I want to talk about how Peter reached the conclusion that he needed to step out of that boat. So let, let's start with this. We're, we're going to describe Peter's boat, but I'm interested in your boat, in my boat. And, and so let's define our boats this way. My boat is whatever represents safety and security to me apart from God. God God's on the outside of the boat walking on water, we're on the inside of our boat. What's your boat? What's it look like? See, your boat and mine is whatever we're tempted to put our trust in. To put our trust in, especially when life around us is a little bit stormy. Our boat can represent something that, that keeps us comfortable, something that we're unwilling to give up, maybe, that's keeping us from, from joining Jesus on the waves. Sometimes our boat is something that, that pulls us away from him. My friend Mike, he had been a builder for 30 years when I 
met him 18 years ago, self-made man. He grew up in a family where his mother and father were devout believers in Christ. But him, he wasn't having any part of it. Oh, he was a great guy. This man did some amazing things. He's a hard worker, worked seven days a week. If there were eight days, he would have worked them. He gave to his community. Some of the many things in my community that I was living in, he did free of charge to the community. He gave hundreds of thousand dollars away if he gave one away. But for him, his boat, his boat of doing all of these good things and, and this boat of being a builder and, and being fairly well, well established, something kept him there. He was unwilling to get out of that boat. My friend Crystal, for her it was a, a relationship. She's been involved for years with a man whose commitment to her never went beyond getting an apartment for the two of them to share. No ring, no covenant of marriage. When she does bring it up to him, he changes the subject. Now, he's sending her signals that everybody else can hear and read loud and clear. But her, she doesn't believe she could handle losing him. And so her boat's pretty shaky. Her boat's really shaky. But she, she's too scared to leave it. For one man in the Bible, his boat was success. Do you remember the rich young ruler? He came to Jesus, and, and he said, what do I need to do to, to take this walk with you? And remember, Jesus said, well, you've got to step out of your boat. I, I want you to go, and I want you to sell all of these things that, that you put your security in. What's God want most from us? He wants our trust. And this was the one thing that this young man was unable to give up. He was unwilling to get out of that boat. Now, I wonder if this rich young man ever thought about the encounter with Jesus that he'd have at the end of his life. When his bank accounts were full, when his boat was all polished and docked for the winter while he went on his little vacation for the winter down in Florida, I wonder, when he thinks back to that day when Jesus called him to, to risk the whole thing for one wild bet on the kingdom of God, and he said no. So what's your boat? What is it right now that if you were to step away from it and walk toward God, you are scared to death of? Fear does that. Fear will tell you right now exactly what your boat is. As you think about your boat, I guarantee some of you right now, your heart's beating just a little bit faster. Just like Peter's was. Just like the 12 were. When their boat was shaking a little bit, by a storm. See, storms do that. Storms rock our boat. Storms bring our fears to the surface. They require us to come face to face with something, and that is the insufficiency of the boat that we are often in. So what's your boat? For some of you, it's anonymity. You're glad when you walked in the door and the room's a little bit full. Maybe nobody will talk to you. Maybe for some of you, you've been burned by a church. I had a, a young couple that were here last week, and they had left the church because they just had a bad taste in their mouth after a fundraising experience. And I thought, oh, Lord, of all the weekends to be here, <laughs> right? 
And, and, and I hope that they will take me at my word. I hope that they will let me prove. I hope that they'll let all of you prove that it's not about a building, but it's about you. It's about those who have yet to come to Christ. Maybe that's your boat. You've been hurt, and you're a little bit scared right now. You're a little bit frightened to step out. But you know that that boat without a church family is a shaky one. You know it's lonely. What's your boat? There's 12 men in this boat. In the middle of the storm of their life, Matthew tells us that they were all frightened. They all realized that the boat that they were in, the boat just like their fathers had, was insufficient for the storm. And 11 of them decided that they would stay in the boat. But one, one, Peter blurted out and said, if it's you, command me to come to you on the water. Now, why does Matthew include this detail? If you guys, those of you that have been reading your Bible for the first time, I've talked to some of you, and if you need some help, you know, figuring out where to go, I'd love to, any of the staff, love to sit down with you and just help you get used to that new Bible. But people who read their Bibles are finding every day, just like I do and others do, that God's Word comes alive. It, it speaks to us. Even if you're reading the most obscure passage, there's something there that will speak to you, that will penetrate your heart. And it's because of these details. Why doesn't Peter just jump out of the boat? Why, why didn't Matthew just skip this detail and say, the next thing we know, Peter was walking on water? Why, why the detail? Because we need to understand something about stepping out of our boat. It's not just about risk-taking. This walk that we're, that we're being asked to take isn't about risk-taking. It's primarily about obedience. This one detail tells me that Jesus isn't always looking for bungee-jumping, tornado-chasing Kia drivers, right? Water walking isn't something that you do for a recreational purpose. This isn't a story about extreme sports. It's a story about obedience. This means that before Peter gets out of the boat, he'd make, better make sure that it's Jesus who wants him to, that it's Jesus who thinks it's a good idea. And so he asks for clarity. If it's you, Jesus, if it's you that's stirring inside of me right now to get out of this boat and to walk with you, then please command me. Please tell me. And so when your heart's pounding and you believe that Jesus is calling you to walk, well, you will have to discern. We have to discern. We have to discern whether it's an authentic call from God or what might simply be a foolish impulse on our part. You may remember, you, you may remember the story about the man who appeared at the pearly gates of heaven. Peter met him there. He met him there at the gate, and he said, what, what particular action did you take in life that would merit you coming in to heaven? And so Peter stood, or uh, the, the man stood there for just a minute, and he, and he thought, and he said, well, he said, uh, recently uh, I have ran across a group of bikers. They tattooed, they had nose rings, they had big Harley Davidsons, and there was a, a young lady 
As a young lady, it, it happened to be a bar. I'm, I'm sorry, I was there at the bar, but it was right outside the bar. And, uh, and they were just giving her a devil of a time. And so I, I went up to the biggest one, the most tattooed one, the one with the biggest nose rings, and, and I said to him, hey, you need to leave that girl alone. And he said, what are you going to do about it? And so this man standing there with Peter, he said, well, I went over and I smacked him upside the head. I grabbed hold of that nose ring and I pulled it completely out. Not, not the easy way, but the whole way. Took the septum out of there with it. He said, then I saw his bike over there and I kicked it over. And Peter said, that's amazing. When did this happen? And the man standing there said, two minutes ago. <laughs> you know, there, there's a big difference between faith and foolishness. And historically, right, Peter's gotten a rap for doing some foolish things, lopping the ear off of a guy, you know, being on the Mount of Transfiguration, saying, let's build a house, let's just stay here. Peter, whose actions suggested that he didn't really think things through. But in this moment, Peter understood he's not in charge of water walking. It's impossible for him to walk on water unless God desires it for him. And so he asks, write this down with me. Any walk that God is calling us to take will be in alignment with his commands and mission for our life. Any walk that God's asking you to take, if you want to know if it's your, your stomach or God, then look to his word and his mission for your life. If you're a Christ follower, you are on a mission from God. God didn't create you to sit around and delight in his bountiful gifts to you. His gifts to you and me are to be employed for the mission that he has for us. The more that you use those gifts for him, the more that he will give you, the more that he'll supply you, the more that he will renew you. Jesus said, you're the salt of the earth, you're the light of the world. That's all of our base mission, and that is to point the world to him. We're the salt shaker in a world that's pretty bland. Everybody wants to be the same. We're the light in a world that is darkened by a lot of things. Now, others have come before you. Others are going to come after you, but I want you to get this this weekend. This is your day, just as it was Peter's day. This is your day. I want you to say that with me. This is my day. It is. I want you to say it like you believe it. This is my day, right? This is my day. See, according to Scripture, this belief can be wrapped up into one statement. I was created by God to know him, receive his love and mercy, to share that love and mercy with those around me that they might receive his love and mercy and be his family if you want to know if you want to know for sure that it's god calling you to get out of the boat not just an emotional high not your gut answer these questions honestly right right now number one number one does what i'm getting ready to do line up with what i know to be true about god does, does what i'm getting ready to do do i know that to be true about God. Does, does it line up with his character? Does it line up with what his word says? I can't tell you how many people come to me and said, I, God wants me to be happy. 
you know, he, he's okay. He, he's okay. He knows that, that when I got married, I really wasn't thinking. And he says, it's okay. No, he doesn't. No, that, that boat that you're getting ready to step out of, you might as well put both feet back in and deal with it because that's not him. Number two, does this call place me in a position to receive his love and mercy and to share him with the world around me that they would know him? I want a new car so bad, right? I, I make the mistake. I go by, I smell the, smell the new interior. They only have one left, you know. I try to justify it, right? We need an extra seat so that we can, you know, one of these days when boys come along, we can put them in the back, you know, and take them along with us. I don't see what's wrong with just putting them in the trunk. But, you know, the girls want to have a, an extra seat for them. And so I'm going to try to manipulate that, and I'm going to say, well, we'll use that as a ministry, right? We'll use that $40,000 ride and those $600 a month payments as a ministry. No. Is this move something that Jesus would do, has done, or is this simply something that I want to do? See, from what we know about Peter, you can be certain that Peter wanted to walk on water. Who wouldn't? But he realized in the moment that he didn't have the ability to do it on his own. And so he better make sure that it's God who's commanding him. The second thing we need to keep in mind when discerning if a walk that we're being called to is from God is that the walk isn't always something that we would choose. Instead, it's something we discover. Oh, I really like doing that. Well, good for you. What about the things that you don't like doing? Is it possible that God wants you to do that? You're a piece of work. Uh, some of us have been called that. Maybe, maybe you've been called that by a coworker. Maybe you've been called that by your parent. Some of you have been called other things, right? You're a piece of fill in the blank, right? <laughs> now, while most of the time it's intended to be sarcastic, I want you to know that if you're a Christian, it really is true. Not that you're a piece, but you're a piece of work. You're a work in progress. You are a work under construction by God. And that means that discerning, discerning God's invitation to walk is to understand that sometimes the walk is about our development. It's about our growth. It's about his strength being made perfect in our weakness. One of the things that I am so thankful for in my parents all these years later is that they didn't predispose me to a certain career path. I've met so many parents who have pigeonholed their kids. You're, you're going to do this. Uh, th this is what I did, and it worked well for me, so I want you to do that. Or, or this is what I did, and I want you to do something different, right? I, don't you dare go to that factory. Don't, don't you dare even think about that. You need to be an attorney. You need to be a physician. You, you need to be somebody important. God knows you don't need to be a preacher. They don't make any money, right? We've all seen those people who who are predisposed. They didn't impose me to a sport, right? My dad played softball until he was too old to be playing softball. And he didn't say to me, son, you know, as a softball player, you, you got to build for it, right? You, you do great at that. I, I, I bet you can really throw a softball. He, he didn't predispose me to that. Instead, Instead, they watched and they listened very closely during my formative years to see how God had created me. 
what God had put in me. It's what Sarah and I have tried very, in, I don't know if my parents did it intentionally or not, but that's what happened. But we've tried so hard with the girls to intentionally look at their life and to watch what's coming out of them, to watch what they are impassioned by and what they enjoy. And let me tell you, I don't care if they're street sweepers. I don't care if they live in my house the next 30 years. They're not bringing anybody with them if they're living in my house. As long as they're doing what God created them to do, I'm okay with it. And that's the way my parents were with me. They saw in me a creative spirit. I, I love building things out of wood, so they, they helped foster that. They, they let me build things out of wood. They, they let me tear things out of the house and put them back. I, it's craziness. But they fostered that. They, they saw that I loved to hang out with older people. I'm talking like old people, 50-year-olds when I was 15, right? ancient people. And, and I love to go and sit on the porch with them and, and just talk about their life and, and about their past and what they were doing. And, and they fostered that. They didn't say, you don't need to go over that old man's house. You need to be spending time throwing that softball. You need to be spending time earning a scholarship. No, there's none of that. They saw in me anxiety that needed to be replaced with trust. And so they redirected me. They, they gave me tools in order to work through that and in doing this this is what I've discovered I understand God's calling to be something that I don't create or choose on my own it's not for my own purpose or my plan God's call something that I discover I discover it and I obediently follow his commands for everyday life the Apostle Paul gives us one of the hardest commands in Scripture and that is don't think of yourself more highly than you ought but rather think of yourself with sober judgment in accordance with the measure of faith God's given you. Now, that means I've got to ask some tough questions of myself. I've got to ask, am I aligning my daily life with God's commands? Listen, before you step out of that boat that you're in, you need to make sure that you're beginning to align your life with God's commands because it's the only way you're going to know for sure that he's calling you to take that walk. Now, that first walk, that first walk to him right here, to be buried with him, that you can rise with him, that's a given. The Bible says that he wants everyone to come to repentance. He wants everybody to step out of that self-sufficiency boat and go to him. But once you're in that boat as a Christ follower, you need to make sure that it's him. And the best way to know that it's him, somebody says, how do you know God's will? Well, you line your life up with the commands that are right there in his word. It's called his general will for your life. If you're a husband, if you're a man, if you're a woman, if you're a child, if you're a parent, it's all right there. You line yourself up with his commands. Second, second, what's keeping me from responding to God with the faith I have at the moment? How many times have we said, well, I'll step out of that you know, after I've got a little bit more experience. Or, or I'll step out of that boat when, uh, when I'm sure that I've got something else to go to. What deep truth about yourself are you unwilling to trust to God's power and care? 
This next statement will help us come to grips with the reality of these questions, and that is the walk God calls me to will more than likely include some level of pain. Some level of pain. You know, there's a myth out there that if you're following Christ, if you're doing what God's called you to do, then you're going to be happy. You're going to be filled. You're going to love your job. You're going to love your relationships. You're going to jump up every morning for the day ahead. No. You might have some really great days, but there's some really stinky days in between. God often calls us, God often calls us to discomfort. God called Moses, go to Pharaoh, the most powerful man in the world. I want you to go, Moses, I want you to go up to this guy, and I, I want you to tell him that you're going to take all of his free labor, all million of them. You're going to take them all, and he's supposed to just let them go, right? And then while you're doing that, I want you to go talk to those million people, and I want you to tell them to run on out now and run on out to the desert. J just leave everything there. Don't need to take anything with them except for a little bit of bread without yeast. I, I want you to just tell them to run out there, right? And that's day one. I'll tell you what tomorrow's plan is tomorrow. That's why, that's why Moses said, here I am, take Aaron right? God's call often brings discomfort. God called Jeremiah to preach to people who wouldn't listen. I, I can't imagine what that's like. I, I know there's some weekends where we're tired and it's hard to be in the room, but every weekend I look out and I, I see people's eyes. I see their faces. I see you making a, a note. I, I see people who've come for the first time. I see people who are listening, who are taking it in, who are trying to figure it all out, how to play that out in their life. But for Jeremiah, he was called to preach to people who wouldn't listen. In fact, it was so hard, Jeremiah cried every day. He wept over the people, so much so that his nickname, you know, my nickname's Big Daddy. <laughs> his nickname, his nickname was the Weeping Prophet. How would you like to have that title? There's Dave. He cries every Sunday. There he is. Sometimes your walk will mean that you are here early and stay late to serve. Serve all alone when everybody else has, has left. Will you do it? Sometimes your walk won't involve any type of recognition. Certainly won't involve any wealth or big payments or the influence that you'd always hoped for. Can, can you let those things go? to take the walk that God's calling you to. Sometimes things won't turn out the way you wanted. Surprise. Sometimes people will oppose you. They'll disapprove of you. They'll block what you're trying to do. Will you endure? Will you be patient? I've shared with the younger staff that God's invitation to me to full-time ministry first came to me at the age of 14. I had a pastor that was, that was very loving and kind, the way that I try to be to the young men in our church and young women that I see God doing something in. And, and he pulled me aside just like my parents did. He said, I see this. And I said, I see it too. And I was one of those kids that said, I'm committing my life to that. I began praying that prayer, those, answering those questions that I've shared with you about discerning that it was God's call. But what God would lead me to next meant that I would spend almost nine years going to college while working full time. I would spend 15 years as a leader in the federal government. You talk about something that will strip you down. 
nine years, nine years of bivocational ministry, you know, having to come home after a 50-hour week and then put in another 20 hours. Today, after 39 years, I am convinced of this. I am a piece of work. I am clay in the potter's hand. All of that journey, all of that journey, every day I had to decide that this is my day to engage the walk God has for me right now. And every step of that walk, I had to say yes. I had to say yes. If it's you, Jesus, command me. Command that I come to you. Jesus must have smiled. I wonder if he even chuckled under his breath. You know, picture how violent that storm must have been to have 12 men, some of which grew up on the lake, to be scared out of their wits. Imagine what it was, the size of the waves that would threaten to tear that boat apart, the strength of the wind, the darkness of the night. It would have been enough to walk on water in the middle of the day on a calm lake. But here it was, three in the morning, the most violent storm, pitch black, and their hearts were pounding. But put yourself in Peter's place for a minute. You have that sudden glimpse. You have that moment, that insight into what Jesus is doing. He's inviting you to go on the walk of your life. What will you choose? You see, there's something inside of every one of us. There's a little bit of that Peter inside every one of us that knows that the boat that we're in, that the boat that we're in isn't sufficient unless it's the boat of Jesus Christ. And remember this boat, just like the boat that many of us have placed ourselves in, Jesus is outside of the boat. We're in the boat. And there's a moment in our life when we know that it's out there that we really want to be but we're just not sure. We know that we'll never walk on water by staying in the boat. And so picture it. Jesus, or Peter, Jesus has said, let's walk. Peter gets to the edge of the boat. He's holding on tight. He puts one foot out. He can still pull it back in because he's got one foot in, one foot out. He sticks the other one out, and I imagine he was just holding on for dear life. And then suddenly, he lets go, and he takes the walk of a lifetime. <laughs> he realizes this, this is my day. The God who commanded Peter to step out of the boat is the same God that commanded Abraham to take a walk to some place that he had never seen or known. It's the same God. It's the same God who commanded Moses to go before Pharaoh. It's the same God that saw Jacob. It's the same God who looked at Joseph in his situation, being the favored son in his family, that called him to step out, even though his life was tormented, to step out and to be faithful and to be true. That same God is standing outside of your boat right now. If you're willing, if you're willing to say, God, command me, if it's you, command me that I step out. I guarantee you today, 
if you're in a boat of self-sufficiency, a boat where you've never surrendered your life to Jesus Christ, he's calling you right now to take that first step. Uh, last week, Zach Peel, Zach, would you just stand up for a second? I, we usually have a picture up here, but I didn't get a picture. Last week, Zach took that walk, right? Thank you, bud. Thank you. Zach took that walk. He, he heard, he saw what he thought Jesus was there outside of his boat, and he said, if it's you, and he came up here after the service, he said, I, this is what I need to do. And so last week we walked into those waters and he walked out of that grave. And now he's got several more walks before him that he wants to take in alignment with God. This is your day. Why don't you respond? Let's stand together. Father, thank you for today. Thank you for Peter and for his courage. Thank you for the example that we have. Thank you for the storms that you bring in our lives that help us to realize that the boat that we're in is insufficient. But whether it's a bank account, whether it's a job that we just give our all to, to the neglect of our family, whether, Lord, it's a pain, a hurt from the past, that, Father, we feel like we're safer to stay with that than to step out and maybe experience something worse. Well, God, you never promised that the walk would be easy. In fact, you said, in this world, while you're walking, you're going to have trouble. But you take heart because I'm right there with you. I'm there to take your hand. I'm there to lift you up out of the waves. I'll never leave you. And so, God, we hold on to that today as we dare to step out of our boats and take that first step with you. In Jesus' name, amen. If you'd like to talk about your boat, if you'd like someone to pray with you about your next step, this is the time. You can raise your hand and I'll come to you or you can come right here and let's do it.